Vida Abundante welcomes you to our SoundCloud page. We'd like to invite you to download our app, available in the App Store and on Google Play. Also, you can now follow us on Instagram under the name Vida Abu or on Facebook under the name Vida Abundante Cicero. So when the word return in the minds or in the ears of the Israelites, it's talking to, about, to them about that. It's not just saying, hey, run towards God. It's telling them, before you run towards God, you have to repent. Return is a representation of repentance. True biblical repentance is a turning away from sin, transgression, and iniquity. And I'm going to explore that a little bit with you this morning. So I'm going to do type, a type of systematic theology with you guys just so that we understand the, the core concept of repentance because repentance has often been a word used in Christian circles and sometimes we don't understand what the word really means. And many of us that have grown up in church, we have heard words like sin. We have heard words like transgression. We have word, heard words like iniquity, and we kind of lump them together to say, oh, well, I think it's basically the same thing, isn't it? Sin, transgressions, iniquity, isn't that all talking about the same thing? Well, although it is in a global sense, there are certain distinctions that I want to explore with you this morning so you understand what this actually means. Returning to God is repenting before God, and when you repent before God, and what God is asking Israel to do is repent, and that means they are to turn away from sin. Say with me, chata. You're like, wow, that's not a bad word, don't worry. It's not a bad word. It's the Hebrew word for sin, chata. This word is common, and it is often used in the prophets, but here's the basic essence of what the word sin means. It is to miss the mark. It is the action of missing the mark. That's why the word is, is, is often used in, in the Hebrew language because it, it represents that bow that we talked about in chapter 2, that bow that, that when you stretch back, it, it's gonna, the arrow is going to go straight onto the mark. But what sin does is that it, it turns that bow and it makes it go where it's not supposed to. So when you sin or a life of sin is a life that falls short, and it doesn't hit the mark. It doesn't do what it's intended to do. So it's turning away from an obedient lifestyle and lacking completeness. So the word sin takes on a little bit more weight when we just, it's not just uh, doing bad things. It's not just being a bad person. When you are in sin, like Israel... This, these words are used all throughout Hosea. And when you miss the mark, Israel was missing the mark and falling short of what God had intended them to do. Remember, these were the people of God. They were to be people of God and act as people of God and walk as people of God and do as people of God. And what were they doing? Everything opposed to what the people of God should do. The second word, which is the word transgression, if you can say pesha, that's what the Hebrew word is. And this word means a revolt or rebellion and refusal to accept correction. So sin means missing the mark. 
And transgressions, when you read the word transgressions in the Hebrew test, in the Hebrew Old Testament, you're going to understand this as a type of revolt. It is a type of not liking your surrounding, and because you don't like your surrounding, you will make a revolt. We see this in Chicago all the time. People are up with signs all over, uh, workers, the teachers, uh, every movement that there is. Even back, in the, back a couple of years ago, the, the, the walkouts on Wall Street, we, we have a tendency to revolt against an institution because we don't like it. So the word transgression in the Hebrew language is just that. We do not like God's government, and so therefore we revolt. We rebel against God. And this is interesting because if God doesn't exist, the word pesha would not exist either because it doesn't refer to anything else other than us and his creation in complete rebellion state against God. So in a sense, when you read the word transgression, what you're reading is the chasm that you have made between you and God. There be, there's a gap there now. You aren't together. The relationship isn't together. And that's why sin and transgression are used in Hosea so they can realize they've missed the mark. And because they've missed the mark, now they are separated away from the relationship they were intent, intended to live by. That needs to be understood. These people were far away from God, and they are far away from God because of their transgression. What does that mean? They have rebelled. They didn't like God's government. True biblical repentance is turning away from sin. It is turning away from transgression, and it is turning away from iniquities. Yon is the Hebrew word for iniquity, and it is the guilt caused by sin. Yon is is an is a interesting word because this means not only have you sinned, not only have you transgressed, but now you carry the burden of the sin upon you. That's why some people don't like coming to church because they feel guilty. They're like, no, I can't go to church. I'm just, I'm too bad today. I messed up yesterday night. You should have seen what I was doing yesterday night on Saturday night. It was bad. Even Friday night, it, 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 it spilled over into Saturday morning, and it was just a bad weekend for me. And I can't go to church because I am guilty of this sin. And so what do people do? Because they're guilty of the sin, they, they tend to push away from God. So the more iniquity they incur, the more iniquity they have because of sin, the more they go away from God. It happens so often that you see people grow up in church, and even in, 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 in Israel, the way they grew up held by God's arms, their iniquity drove them even further away. People that grow up in church often feel iniquity and feel guilty, and they're just like, you know what, well, forget it. I can't bear this guilt anymore. And then the worst aspect of iniquity is that God brings in the punishment for that sin. So iniquity isn't just bearing the guilt but it's also bearing the destruction of that iniquity. It's terrible. The, at its essence, the word iniquity means to bend, to twist, and to distort the truth. And therefore, you receive truth from God, but don't accept it because it means something completely different to you. So it's important to understand these words and what that means. That's why when Israel is called to repent or to return, this is what they're doing. 
Turning away from sin, turning away from transgressions, and turning away from iniquity. So I hope now when you read your Bible and you come across these words, you'll be able to understand the difference between these words. And this is what they're called to do. This is what repentance truly looks like. It, it turns away from evil hearts. The prophet Jeremiah was very strong on this since chapter 4 and 18 of the book of Jeremiah. He's continually asking the people to renew their hearts because their hearts are full of evil. True biblical repentance includes a purified heart. But however, they cannot return or repent if sin is still dominant over their lives. And that's why this entire time when we read that God is crushing Israel, that God is destroying Israel, it's not that God is bad for destroying the people of Israel and destroying them and hurting them and letting his wrath come upon them. What is God doing? God is destroying their sin. God is destroying their transgressions and God is destroying their iniquities so that they can finally turn to God. You cannot turn to God while you still love sin. You cannot be a Christian and love your sin. You cannot be a person or a people of God and be devoted to your sin. That's incompatible with Christianity. So that's something that we have to understand immediately. It's not just the Old Testament Hosea time for this. This is a New Testament reality in our lives too. How are we to say we are sons of God and we are stuck in our sins, transgressions, and iniquity? It's incompatible. And that is why God needs to crush it in our lives. That's why we need to turn from it before God crushes it over us. So it's very important for us to understand this. Sin needs to be crushed in order for us to, to move forward. There needs to be a recognition of this type of sin in our life. And we need to come before God with this understanding. So Israel, at the beginning of this verse, that's the great concept that Israel has in their ears. Think about it, think, think about it up, to, up until this point. Based on reading chapter 13, chapter uh, 12, 11, all the chapters that we've read before, think about the state that Israel's in right now. They have no city. They have no capital. Samaria has been destroyed. Judah is about to be destroyed too. They have been deported. They have been vanquished from their land. They have no home. They have no temple. They have no identity. Think about that. They're basically nomads they're unwanted people and they're roaming around the earth crushed because of their sin but now God is saying return it's time for you to return so what does that mean what does that look like for them when God tells them to look to him or to return to him what are they saying it's it's now Turning away from sin, transgressions, and iniquity, and going to God and seeking after God. That's what Isaiah chapter 9 verse 13 says. It says, seek after righteousness now. Go after God. And it also implies putting away false worship, false notions of who God is. So that's why Israel is to be this type of people. They have turned from that, and now they are turning to God and rejecting the false notion of repentance. But repentance in verse 1 also carries with it an intellectual quality. 
This is where your brains are useful. Sometimes our, 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 our brains uh, can do really bad stuff. Think about things uh, in, a, in a very uh, twisted way, but God requires our minds to be renewed as well, and therefore our minds understand that we are in need of salvation. Look at what verse 1 says again. It says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your what? Because of your iniquity. So here is the intellectual realization. They know they have to return to God because of the state that they're in. They have stumbled. They have fallen. And that word stumble isn't just like they've tripped, but that they've fallen because of sin. And that's why it's qualified with the iniquity at the end of the verse. You have fallen in sin and because of sin. What does this repentance look like? It's an understanding of and knowing how they stand before God now. People who don't realize that they need God will never have this understanding in their brain. To them, they are okay. To them, they don't need God because they don't need to repent. What are you going to repent from? What is there to repent from in, in your life? If everything is good in your life, what do you need to repent? I'm, I, don't need, I don't need repentance. I mean, I'm okay. I don't, I don't cheat. I don't steal. I, don't, I, don't, I do my taxes right. I do everything right. What, what do I need to repent from? So the intellectual aspect and quality of repentance is so important because it makes you understand, and Israel now knows that they stand before God as guilty. That is, that is very important. And, and th these are, this isn't just realities that we see in Hosea. This, this is something that Job struggled with. This is something that Isaiah struggled with when they stood before God and they're like, how? How do we stand before you, O God? How do we come to you, O God? You're holy and we're not. How do we, how do we fix this, this gap between your immensity and, and holiness and our iniquity and guilt? They struggled with this too. But the first step in this repentance is this intellectual understanding of knowing we are guilty and broken. And that will lead to true repentance. Look at, I love, I love this chapter. Go with me to chapter 51 of Psalms. The book of Psalm is a great book for you to read through. Then, If you haven't read through it, make that your mission. Every year, read through the book of Psalms. Look at verse, I mean, chapter 51. And this is one of, one of my favorite chapters because it, it shows a broken David. Everyone glorifies David for being a great king and, and being one of the, the, the best uh, kings of Israel. But we got to see what happens when sin has taken a hold of his life. I'll read from verse 1 and on. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look at verse 3 and 4. For I know. What is he saying? I know my mind. I understand now. My transgressions, once again, what are transgressions? Were you guys awake this morning? 
What are transgressions? Okay, it's part of sin, but what, what else does it incur? Rebellion. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Here, here is King David realizing the horribleness of his sin, of his transgression before God, rebelling against his word, rebelling against his government, and saying, I know, this was me. It, it, it's not, well, God, it's because uh, this kingdom that you gave me, it, 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 it wasn't enough, or the people that surrounded me were bad, or, or even my own wife, it's her fault. She, she pressures me too much, and, and she just makes me uh, bitter. And, and, and it's, it's not blaming anybody else. When Israel is to repent before God, they are not to look at, oh, well, God, it's because we, were, we didn't have our temple. We didn't have the right land. We were, we were small. We were insignificant. There was other, no, no. It's not a, a, a pointing the finger to everybody else. It's, it's, bro, you, look at you. David does not point the finger to anybody else but himself. I know that I have sinned against you and only you. Repentance is an understanding of that crucial fact. It's your fault. It's my fault. And now we are guilty and broken before God in this sin. See, what sin ultimately does is it breaks you. See, God can break sin. You can help break sin with God's help. But sometimes sin breaks you because of its consequences. And here... David is broken by his sin, broken from his rebellion, and now he understands, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. This isn't asking God, please, uh, don't let me suffer anymore. See, repent, that's, that's one of the things that you have to get rid of in repentance, and we'll go a little bit more into it uh, as, as, we, as we go on. But you can't just feel bad and, and be like, oh, this hurts. This isn't right. Oh, man, I, I messed up. Now I can't do this. Now I can't. It's not just feeling bad about what you've done. It's understanding that you are in that situation because you have sinned. You're not asking God to take away the pain. You're asking God for forgiveness. So it's an intellectual quality that happens in repentance, and that's why the New Testament authors use this word metanoia, which means a change of mind. See, that, that's why I wanted to talk to you a little bit in a, in a systematic type of way uh, and understanding because we need to dig into this topic a little bit more. Uh, a lot of Christians have this superficial notion of what repentance is. I want to dig into it a little bit, and I want you guys, and I want to help you guys understand this concept and what God is asking Israel to do is what God asks us to do Continually, the New Testament authors use this word named metanoia. It's the Greek word that means a change of mind. That's what we were talking about in, in, in the Hebrew word, in the Hebrew word of shuv, an intellectual quality of turning away from sin. In, this, in, the, in the Greek sense, it's a change of mind. This is the same word that John the Baptist used when he focuses on a baptism of repentance. When John the Baptist enters the scene in Mark chapter 1, he's baptizing people, and he's, and he's telling them to repent. He's asking them to change their minds. And then it's interesting, John the Baptist isn't just preaching alone to 
Gentiles or people that are not in the church, who is he preaching to? He's preaching to Jewish people. Jewish people, the ones who know the law, are the ones who are being called to repent, to turn away, to, to change their minds. Who does Christ call to repentance? Does Christ call the righteous man to repentance, or does Christ call the sinner to repentance? Christ calls the sinners to repent. In that category, we're all a part of it. There is this understanding that sinners know that they are guilty. And therefore Christ says, I don't come for perfect people. I don't come for those who, who, who pretend to be righteous. I come for those who know they are sinners before me. And I'm asking them to change their mind. That's, if, in case you wanted to look that up, that's in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. This change of mind equals a change of life. And if you read in a couple chapters before, in Luke chapter 3, this change of life is translated into fruits of repentance. When, Luke, when John and Jesus talk to the Pharisees about their lifestyles, they ask for fruits of repentance. John the Baptist asks them for fruits of repentance. The way they are to live is to show and demonstrate a life that is a life of fruitful repentance. It's a change of mind. That's something that we have to really understand in this aspect, that repentance has first starts with knowing that we're wrong, knowing that we're guilty. Have you ever had an argument with someone that you saw do something wrong and did something wrong, and, and then you confront them about it, and they're like, no, that wasn't me. I, I, I didn't do that. A, a lot of arguments start like that with wives and husbands, right? The, the, the wife says, you did this, and the husband's like, that wasn't me. Like, but I saw you do I recorded you doing it. No, yeah, that's somebody else. It's, it's like, bro, just, just admit it, bro. Like, it's your fault. That's what the initial repentance, that's where it starts, understanding. But yet, repentance isn't just a change of mind. That's one aspect to it. But this change of mind also leads to confession. There was a brother in church a couple weeks ago in our Spanish service, so don't look around right here and be like, who was it? He was in our Spanish service. And he comes up to me and he confesses a sin. And and I told them what he needed to do. And part of that was confessing to his wife. And, and he said, I, I can't do that. And I said, well, you're not, you're, it's, this isn't going to get any better if you don't confess your sin to your wife. Well, but I already confessed my sin to you. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's good. Because now I can help you get right before God. And one of the first things you have to do is go confess your sin to your wife. And he said, I can't do that. I'm like, why not? Because it's going to mess up my marriage. Well, whose fault is that? It's your fault, right? But it's going to be worse if your wife finds out through somebody else what you did. So be a man and go confess your sin. I can't. Okay. Well, I'm not going to force you to do something that you don't want to do. But let me tell you this. If you don't confess your sin before your wife, you're not exonerated from it. You are walking guilty before God and your wife. So if you want to get right with God, you better confess your sin to your wife. And although that sounds like, oh, my God, that, 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 why didn't you hug the guy? I did hug him. 
and, we, and he cried and he broke down. And I tried to, you know, hey, good thing is that you realize I, you, he, he did it. He understood it. But he needs to confess it. That's why a change of mind leads to a change of life. And he needed to confess his sin. And I pray that he does. It's a realization that you have sinned, but now you need forgiveness. Can you imagine this guy living his, let's say his wife doesn't find out for 10 years. He's always going to be living with that. Oh my God, what if she finds out? What if she finds out? What if she finds out? And then, when she does, it could blow up. But, but what if he does confess his sin, and his wife does blow up and get angry and maybe slap him a couple times? But then what after a couple of weeks, she forgives, and he is forgiven, and then he can be embraced by his wife again. It's a, it's a complete change. See, when we understand that we've sinned, and we stop there, then we, we're always walking tentative before God. It's always like, let me tiptoe around God because oh, I'm, I'm bad, I'm, I, I'm not fully there. But that's why God calls us to confession and brings us, because when we confess, that leads to the opportunity of forgiveness. That's the beauty of God. And that's the beauty of the word right here in, in verse 1 return. Why? Because in your understanding of your messed up life, you can confess and you can be forgiven. All oh, the beauty of forgiveness. That's why every Sunday morning should be a joyous occasion because we're here we're like, wow, I'm forgiven. Thank you. I've been forgiven by the God of heaven. Confession, that's why, keep reading in, 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 in chapter 14, this is so beautiful. It says in verse 2, take with you words. There, there it is, words. What is it talking about there? It says, take with you words and return to the Lord. You are to return to God with words, with words of confession. Here what it's talking about is a prayer of confession because you're going to read what, it's, what he's saying to do. In the rest of this, this chapter, it's a prayer of confession. And that is how we are supposed to approach God as we acknowledge our sin and then have a prayer of confession. So there is this emotional quality, not only an intellectual one, but an emotional one that, that connects us to needing forgiveness. But it isn't an emotional one where it is just feeling bad, as I mentioned, or it's just being remorseful or feeling guilty about your sin because you can feel guilty about your sin your entire life and never do anything about it. You can feel badly about something and never do anything about it. And oftentimes it leads you to have this worldly grief and remorse that will eventually lead to death spiritual death, and at times physical death. I mean, we see this in the case of Judas. Judas Iscariot sinned, and his sin was so hard in Matthew chapter 27 that it, he took his life away. He didn't feel remorse in a godly way where he came to Christ 
or he came to God and asked for forgiveness, he felt bad, remorseful, and he took his own life. We see this again in Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler. When Jesus says everything he had to do and everything he had to sell and he had to get rid of all of his money, what does the Bible say? That he felt bad. And did that feeling bad get him to follow Christ? You guys know the story, right? What did he do? He turned. He left away feeling sad. So feeling bad doesn't mean you are repentant. Feeling bad and remorseful isn't just a feeling. It, uh, it, it just makes you like kind of like, oh, oh but I'm going to keep going in the same way. It, it's not what God wants in repentance. God wants a godly emotional grief that leads to salvation. Go back with me to Psalm chapter 51. Love this song. Psalm 51, the first two verses that we, that we read when, when, when we see this confession take place. It says, have mercy on me, O God. Here is David understanding, knowing his sin, and he's asking God for mercy. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. All these words and verbs that we're reading are, are indication of the filth that David felt on his life. It was, he was disgusting. You got to understand this for the Hebrew, for the average Israelite, they continually wash their hands, wash their feet. That's why you remember in the New Testament when the Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? That's disgusting. They were so like in, in this concept of exterior cleansing that to them that was like their one major aspect of religion. Cleansing, 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 cleansing. So David is saying, wash me, blot away my transgression, cleanse me. He's asking for this because he feels the dirt on his spiritual life. He feels the filth over himself and he knows that if he confesses his sin before God, he is the only one that can blot that sin away. He is the only one that can wash him white as snow. Look at what it says in, in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. There's that joy in repentance. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What is he saying there? That those who come to God with a broken, contrite heart will not be rejected. This is what confession does. It requests to be forgiven. So when Israel is asked to return, they are asked to return with an understanding that they have sinned, but that understanding will lead with words of repentance and asking God to forgive them. That is what an understanding of sin really is. 
knowing that you can't be before God with your sin, but that you can go to God and ask for forgiveness and ask to be restored. See, in David's life, in Psalm chapter 51, his life is crushed. They've pointed at him. The prophet Nathaniel points at him his evil sin, and, and, and the punishment of that sin is the life of his firstborn child. The consequences of that sin that David did, he's going to bear in his life for the rest of his life. It's a consequence that was crushing him because of his sin. So restoration doesn't mean, hey, take away the bad stuff too, yeah? Like, don't make it hurt that much. It's not that. It's asking to be restored into right relationship. That's what David was asking for. It's not, God, make me feel better. No, it's God. I want to be restored to my broken relationship. So confession entails that. It's asking for forgiveness. That's why Paul tells the Greeks and the Jews to repent and turn to God in Acts chapter 26. Change of mind that leads to confession and that brings salvation, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. A a contrite spirit leads to confession. And remember this, friends. Those who confess their sins before God, look at what the New Testament says. Just go all the way to the end of your Bible, almost. Go to 1 John. I preached through 1 John in our Spanish service. We, We weren't doing our English service yet. But this verse is crucial to our understanding of repentance. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why go to God? Friends, because he'll heal you. Why turn to God? Because he will forgive you. The thing is that you need to go to God. The thing is, in the Hebrew language, in in Hosea chapter 14, how are they going to be forgiven? Israel, return. You guys are broken. You guys are guilty. You guys are are disgusting, dying in your sin. And and God is saying, return. It's not like God is looking at Israel. Ha, this is your fault. Ha, ha. He's laughing at them. He's pointing them out. It's not my fault. This is your fault. You did this to yourself. You're the ones that are filthy. You guys are the ones that, but I'm just going to stand here and look at you guys and criticize you guys. No, God's saying, hey, stand up, return. Come back. Come back. It's for your own benefit to do so. I don't care if you're lame. I don't care if you're crippled. I don't care how filthy you are. I don't care how disgusting you are. I don't care how badly you smell. Come back because if you confess your sin, I will forgive you. That's the beauty of repentance. Take away everything that is evil. Take away everything that doesn't uh, uh, oblige to your will and to your law, God, and accept me and take me, and I will give you what is good. That's why verse 2 says, I will return return to the Lord and say to him, take away this iniquity and accept what is good, a a contrite heart, a a heart that is repentant. And, And this, the ESV, I love the ESV translation because it, it does great job in translating a lot of the Hebrew things. But 
if you have the ESV, you're going to read it says, and we will pay with bulls. So it's an interesting uh, little textual addition that the ESV wanted to discuss. I, I don't want to get too into it too because it's going to derail us, but they chose to use a modern uh, rendition of the Hebrew with certain pointings that translates that word to bulls. But it looks almost exactly the same as the Hebrew word for fruit. So parim and para look exactly the same, bull and fruit. And so the ESV chose to go with the modern translate with the modern pointing, and they used bulls. But the original language has fruit. So what does this mean? We will pay with the fruit of our lips, and we understand this more because the prophet Isaiah uses this very language and Proverbs uses this very language when they come offering fruits of our lips. They're coming to God now and they're giving him gifts of a restored relationship. All that is good. Restored and then they could be repented. So this concept in these last three minutes, this is what I want you to really get in all of this. Repentance equals Forgiveness. That is why Israel is being requested to return to God so that they can be forgiven. I love what Charles Hayden Spurgeon writes when he says, No man comes to God properly unless he passes between the pillars of repentance and remission or forgiveness. Repentance of sin and faith in divine pardon are the intertwining threads of the fabric of real conversion. What is he saying? That those who convert, that those who are really seeking after God have experienced two things. Repentance and remission, or the modern word forgiveness. When you come to God, you come repentant, but you're also in God because you have been forgiven. Those two cannot be distinguished or they cannot be separated. You cannot be forgiven unless you are repentant. That's harsh. That may sound harsh. Like, wait, wait, doesn't God accept me just how I am? Well, if that was the case, then all of the world would be in heaven. God, accept me just at who, as I am. Oh, well, if that, then we have a universal God that accepts everybody. Then why is there people in hell? Then we could just be like, well, maybe hell doesn't really exist. Maybe we, that was just a fabrication of, this, of these Hebrew concepts of Hades, and maybe that's just fake too. And maybe God accepts everybody, and everyone goes to heaven. Well, that's not the case. We need to forget, ask for forgiveness. We need to come to God with repentance in order for forgiveness to take place. Those who do come to God in repentance, we are sure that can be forgiven, as John says. They come, and they have forgiveness and experience it and they they taste the bitterness of repentance but they also enjoy the sweetness of pardon of forgiveness so i don't want to go any further on this but i want you guys to really understand we are asked by god israel was asked by god to return and all of us here today are asked to lead and live lives of continual repentance. How many times do I have to repent? Jonathan, like, I already repented. Well, how many times do you sin? That's your answer. 
Oh, so I, every time I sin, I have to repent? Yes. If you stop sinning, then you don't need to repent. But hey, that's not the case. None of us here have the power to not sin. But we do have confidence in that we can go to God and go to him for forgiveness. But remember, knowledge of our sin pushes us away from him. So it isn't just turning away from the sin that matters, but it's what we're turning to. We have God to live for now. He is our goal in life, and he is the one that we have to please. So how do we please God? We hate everything he hates. We hate sin. We do not indulge in sin because we're chasing after God. We cannot be Christians that love sin. That just It's an oxymoron. You cannot be a Christian and love sin. You either hate your sin or you love it and you hate God. So stand with me this morning. As we close our service... We'll pick it up in verse 3 next week, or in a couple of weeks, because next week we're going to have a special service uh, celebrating the mothers. All the mothers, we're going to be celebrating you next service. But honestly, friends, uh, the, these, these weeks that we've spent together in the book of Hosea have really led us through some difficult terrain, but we see hope at the end of the tunnel. And you can come to Christ and ask for forgiveness. Let's bow our heads. We stand here today, Father, knowing full well what David felt as he penned those words, as he looked up to heaven and said, against you and you alone have I sinned. We feel that and we understand it. But David didn't stop there. He asked for you to wash away his sin. Father, there may be sin in our lives that, that we've kept occult for so long. And we come before you today in true repentance and in confession. Confess our sins before you because we know that you can forgive us. And therefore, we get to enjoy the sweetness of that forgiveness. And although it is difficult to forgive, or it is difficult to repent, but it's worth every effort when we land in the arms of forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving people like us. Thank you for forgiving a person like me. Thank you for looking down from heaven and accepting me, but forgiving me and washing away my sin. Father, we stand here before you as people, as your people, as your people that have repented and can now enjoy a life of freedom in you. We honor you and we give you all the glory and we are extremely grateful for everything you've done in our lives and will continue to do. We give you that honor and glory this day. In Jesus' name, amen.